Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's Deep Dish Podcast. Subscribe today and tell a friend about Deep Dish Podcast. With Tim Powers, with Tim Powers. Hey, welcome to Deep Dish Radio. I'm Tim Powers, and you are on my podcast yet again. If you like what you hear on Deep Dish Radio, we would really appreciate your support. Tweet it out, tell a friend. Uh, go to our Facebook page, our Facebook fan page, which is Facebook backslash Deep Dish Radio. And, of course, our Twitter feed, at Deep Dish Radio. And uh, write it down. Tell a friend. Tell everybody you know. We could really use the support. And if you like what you hear, email us. Our email address is DDR. That's for Deep Dish Radio. DDR at email.com. Pretty clever how we did that, huh? Tell everybody you know to go to Deep Dish Radio. Dot com and to check us out on iTunes, wherever, wherever we are. Hope you like what you hear. I'm really excited for today's episode. My guest today is the leader of a band considered to be the godfather of punk, which is quite a feat considering their formation predates Beatlemania. Larry Tamblin started the Standells in Southern California and after a little trial and error, it broke the charts with the legendary single Dirty Water. You know it. You love it. Two more top 40 hits followed. Sometimes good guys don't wear white and Why Pick On Me, both favorite songs of mine. For over 50 years, this band kept its grungy, punky sound going and delighting fans all over the world. I saw them play live in 2009, and they rocked as good as ever. Whew. Now, after two CDs released in the 21st century and a backlog catalog that'll kick your ass, the Standells are gearing up for a huge world tour. Larry Tamblin joins me today to discuss the past, present, and future of the Standells. Deep Dish Radio. I was, uh, I was 16 in 1985. And at that time, uh, Rhino had put out the, uh, the old Nuggets LPs on cassette. And you guys were yeah. all over those. And I got, I got Try It and Why Pick on Me. And I'm like, these guys get it. 
and I started to research the fact that, you know, of course this music was 20 years older than I was, uh, at, you know, at the time, but it, but I mean, you got it. And, uh, and it was just, it was just the soundtrack of my life. And why pick on me was in the cassette, uh, cassette deck of my first car for probably the first three years of its existence. <laughs> so, so it is, uh, well, that's, uh, you know, that's Rhino actually, they put out about four, uh, Standell's albums right. in, uh, in the eighties. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, they even had the rarities album, which were a lot of songs that were previously unreleased. What's the status of those albums now? Are they, are they currently in print? Um, you know, uh, I don't, uh, they are, but they're, they're, um, I think they're done, uh, you know, uh, 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 Universal, MCA Music owns all of that, all of our catalog, and so they licensed it out, you know, and, uh, and so there's all these different labels that are, uh, are getting licenses on these products and in various, uh, 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 configurations so i it's, it's hard for me to keep up with them sure well i would imagine and uh you know some of it's available by digital download and some of it's you know being printed and i would imagine at some point somebody's gonna uh, remaster everything on on vinyl like they do with everybody else these days uh well that's that's funny that's funny you should say that because it was all originally done in vinyl right oh yeah <laughs> Well, I'm well aware, but you know, I don't know if you're if you're if you're uh, aware or not. But the kids are getting into vinyl again. Oh yeah, I I, I know that. Uh, it, it's um, it seems to be uh, quite the rage, uh, uh, very well, and it seems to be a growing market too. Uh, uh, however, uh, we've got two new albums out, and neither one of them have really gotten into the vinyl thing. I don't know why. Well, let's uh, let's backtrack and talk a little bit about yeah. the the history of the band, which is fantastic. But then, but I absolutely want to give a lot of attention to what's happening now, because, like I said, I saw you yeah. guys in two thousand nine um, at Amoeba for the for the Rhino box set, and uh, yeah, and you guys just blew, <laughs> frankly, in my opinion, blew everybody off the stage. But um, oh, thanks! And it was so cool, and. Um, you know, I, I remember going through the autograph table and being that 16-year-old kid again, standing in front of the standouts going, do you guys know what you did for me? Um, <laughs> but let's let's back up. You were you were 19, and you started this band, and you end up doing yeah. a gig in what I believe was uh, a house of ill repute in Hawaii. Can you, can you back up and tell me that story uh, a little bit? No, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a nightclub. Okay. And, uh, it, it was called the Oasis Club, and uh, it was owned uh, by uh, uh, Bill Pacheco, who was a, a, a football star at UCLA. It was, right. uh, they called him Bill the Knee, and because uh, he was uh, he kicked the field goals, and uh, he and his wife uh, opened the club, and uh, and uh, it was in Honolulu, and. Uh, and they brought in, you know, uh, groups from the mainland, and uh, we happened to stumble into a gig there because uh, uh, we had just we had uh, formed the, the, the group that much, uh, you know, uh, before that, and uh, this happened to come open, and they they booked us over there. Uh, so it 
it. Uh, but it's funny you should say House of Ill Repute because there was a lot of things that went on there that, that would lend itself to that, uh, to that right. description. Because it wasn't just bands, right? You were playing in between strippers and comedians. Well, yeah. They, uh, uh, the way the show went, you know, they had... Uh, they had uh, it was like a it was like a, a, a burlesque uh, you might say in, in which they had comedians they had uh, uh, chorus dancers they had uh, a singer and uh, and they had uh, you know actors come out and do uh, skits and things and uh, then the stripper his name was Mickey Moto and uh, and then we came on after Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was uh uh it was quite uh, uh you know uh, being 19 years old my first time away from home uh, i got to say it was quite an adventure but and you were you were playing quite a bit the band was pretty new so to to run a parallel yeah. honolulu was kind of your hamburg yeah uh i uh, the, the the band the original members were me uh tony valentino and uh, another guy named uh, Jody Rich, and right. uh, another guy uh, Benny Hernandez, which he was about 15 years old when he went over there, and uh, we were all young uh, except for Jody. He was he was uh, older than the rest of us, and uh, so uh, you know I came up with the name uh, because we did a lot of standing around booking agents' office. Uh, <laughs> Stan, Standells, and that's, that's how it came up. Right. It used uh, to be Larry Tamlin and the Standells, and then they uh, you just you just became the Standells, right? Well, it was actually opposite. We started as the Standells, and uh, and then uh, uh, when we left Hawaii, then it became Larry Tamlin and the Standells. Uh, they figured they had a better better chance of, of booking the band, uh, and since I was the lead singer, and and. Uh, you know, uh, that it made more sense. Also, the guy that was, uh, I wasn't the leader to begin with, uh, Jody was. Right. Uh, he was this Napoleonic type of guy, real short and, uh, <laughs> claimed to be a, a former Marine. And, uh, really, it was like boot camp with this guy. I mean, he made us spit shine our shoes and, uh, and we had, uh, you know, uh, iron our clothes and whatever we went out, we had to dress alike and, uh, uh, like the uniforms, you know, and uh, we had curfews at night, and uh, uh, and the guy <laughs> he started really going crazy because he was married and the rest of us were single, and he uh, he, he got really jealous, uh, that, you know, the fact we're you know right there uh, we lived there right there on Waikiki Beach and we we're picking up on all the girls, <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's why he imposed the curfew, and uh, and so then he started. Uh, you know, uh, staying up all night, uh, taking bennies and, uh, uh, you know, and, you know, we'd get up in the morning, this guy would be all bug-eyed and say, hey, I've got 200 songs for us to learn, you know, and i go, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, because I'm the lead singer, too, yeah, how the hell am I going to learn 200 songs, you know, and uh, he was going pretty nuts, and, uh, and finally, uh, I just said to him, I said, look, Tony, anyway, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deal with us, you know. I'm not going to deal with, with whatever you've got going on, you know. And so he got mad and he fired all of us. And uh, by then, uh, the drummer had left. He had harassed him so much, the poor kid. Uh, right. Benny, 
he he went home uh, to his parents and uh, in tears, and uh, and we had to hire the the uh, uh, the drummer from the from the band from the house band, <laughs> <laughs> and he was a really good really good guy, good good musician, and, and uh, he fit right in actually, except for he was he was a lot heavier than Betty, and uh, couldn't quite wear his jacket. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had uniforms, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, we. Uh, but we uh, we continued on, and that's when uh, the Jody uh, started firing everybody. But then he realized they didn't have a band, and uh, and so uh, he, he kind of eased up. And uh, uh, but what you know, we we were there for maybe about uh, six months, and uh, and uh, it, it was just. Uh, just like you know, living in paradise. A bunch of young guys living in paradise, you know. And uh, yeah, well, we had a lot of fun. And uh, and then when we got back to the states, we parted ways with Jody. Uh, uh, and uh, and then we we reformed the band, and that's when we called it Larry Camblin and the Standells. We brought in uh, 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 Gary uh, Lane and uh, Gary Leeds. Right. And uh, Gary Leeds, of course, went on to form the Walker Brothers uh, later on. Right. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, the the act that we're on that was on, I could talk all night about this, uh, but the act that was that was there at the Oasis Club before the Standells was John and Judy, John Moss and his sister Judy, and and uh, when Gary uh, Gary didn't know him at all. But they they met later on, and of course uh, Gary and uh, Scott Engel was they were part of the Walker Brothers. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, it's just amazing how small the world is. Yep. But anyway, it went on as Larry Camblin for quite some. Uh, Larry Camblin and those standells, and uh, uh, you know we toured up and down, and uh, uh, we uh, uh, up and down. I shouldn't say tour because we we played in clubs up and down uh, the coast of California. Right. We played in Eureka. We played in you know uh, in uh, Sacramento and uh, uh, a lot of places up and up and down there uh, along the coast. And uh, and then in, in Hollywood, we played at this uh, this nightclub in Hollywood. And uh, was that PJ's? I'll never forget that one. Was was no it- no. This was before PJ's. So we were playing in this club. Uh, some some place on Melrose, and I can't remember the name of it, but I still was uh, was not 21. I think I barely turned 20. Okay. And uh, and uh, the uh, undercover police came in, and uh, they wanted to see our IDs. And uh, we would we would have been a shitload of trouble if we had, uh, you know, uh, because. Yeah, so with the club, you know. Right, uh, so right. we, uh, uh, so I, I, I told the cop, you know, uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I didn't bring it, but I am 21, you know, and he says, well, I'm going to be back in a few days, and I'll, I'll check it. And uh, so uh, um, Tony and I had to uh, uh, go down to <laughs> this is the shoe story. We went to uh, drove to Tijuana and uh, <laughs> and. and uh, Got a fake uh, social security card for me, and and uh, and then uh, uh, and uh, and then I you know I, I typed in. We didn't, of course, we didn't have computers back then. So right. I typed it in with a uh, typewriter, and I put some phony address on it. I don't know why, uh, but uh, I did, and and 
I cleaned it out. It's from Ohio, and and uh, and I put a small O instead of a capital O in there, and it really screwed it up. But uh, but it, it, it you know from a, from from, from a hands distance it looked authentic. And then I took and took the card and rubbed it in the dirt and rubbed it all over, so it looked that I have been you know uh, used for a long time. And and uh, you know uh, and several days later these these cops did come back. And uh, and and he asked to see my ID, and I was just shaking. I was so oh man, was I just uh, I was paralyzed almost. Uh, you know, uh, because he had told me, you know, originally he says, "Well, come clean now, or it'll go a lot harder on you," like they always do. Of know? course. And so here I was, you know, with this fake ID, you know, and I showed it to him, and he just glanced at it. And he says, "Yeah, I thought you were 21. Nobody would go this far." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, and so we played in that club and then uh, more, you know, up and down uh, the coast. And uh, and this is about 64, 65? Yeah, this was uh, 62, uh, 1962, and, uh, and uh, 1963. Uh, and then we, we started getting better gigs. Uh, right. And uh, and uh, it wasn't until I think uh, uh, early 1964, or 19, late 1963, I've got it here that we uh, changed the name uh, back from uh, Larry Chandler of the Standells. It went from one L uh, to two Ls. We found out during this time there was an amplifier by the same name. We oh. didn't even know this, and uh, so we put two Ls on there and. Uh, and that's how it became the Standells. So it was Larry Chamblin and the Standells. Uh, we recorded several records that were later released uh, on Farrell Records. Linda, Linda Farrell, owned by Eddie Davis. Right. And uh, I was with Eddie Davis as a single artist. And uh, uh, I had several recordings out before the Standells. And, uh, and so he recorded the group and... Uh, you know, uh, uh, not much happened with them until, of course, we we signed with the label and then he released them. You know, we signed with uh, with Liberty and uh, and he released them. Uh, uh, and uh, one of them, I just uh, was. Uh, uh, well, there was a couple of them that uh, came out as Larry Campbell the Standells, but but one of them in particular, uh, uh, the girl in my heart mm-hmm. was one of them, and. Uh, the other one uh, was Someday You'll Cry. Now, this, I'm not quite sure what happened, but it came out of Larry Campbell and Standells, and then, uh, and then, uh, 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 you know, then we signed, like I said, with, uh, uh, we were signed with uh, Liberty Records, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then right away we had some television shows come up, uh, in movies, the first movie uh, we did was uh, uh, was it Get Yourself get a College, college Girl? girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and that was a trip. You know, here we were unknown practically, and we were building the thing. You know, along with Dave Clark Five, and uh, and I think uh, the animals were in it. And but but they were all their footage was shot over in Europe, whereas ours was actually uh, filmed on the set and uh, uh, in Hollywood. So. Uh, uh, you know, uh, but the biggest thrill for me uh, was was meeting uh, Jimmy Smith, uh, the, the jazz organist, because yeah. I just worshipped him. I thought he was just the best. He's he's really what turned me on to playing organ. 
and uh, uh, so and I actually played him and B3 in the movie that he played. So my fingers were just, uh, I couldn't even wash them afterwards. <laughs> Such a great sound, the Hammond B3. What do you think it was, what do you think it was about the Standells at that time that made them, you know, television and movie friendly? Because at the time, you know, you could throw a rock down Sunset Boulevard and hit 10 bands. What was it, what was it yeah. about you guys, you think, that, that set you well, apart? Well, uh, you know, shortly before we started, uh, we did our first film, we had a changeover. We were, at, uh, we were finally at, uh, PJ's. And, uh, and, uh, our drummer quit us, uh, Gary Lades quit right. us. And, uh, he came up with this cockamamie story that, uh, he was drafted or something. And they, he has formed the Walker Brothers and they had this big thing with their, uh, 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 Gary was a, just a, a tremendously funny guy and, uh, just an oddball, but I, I really loved Gary dearly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he formed. He wanted us to change our name for one thing, and uh, we had already built up this reputation as the Standells, Larry Gamblin Standells. But he wanted us to change our name to the Children. This is the honest to God truth. Right. Because he had seen this movie called Village of the Dam. All these kids. <laughs> yeah. This is the, this is the, nobody knows about this. He saw this movie called Village of the Dam. All these kids had blonde hair. And they had these superpowers, or they're, you know, from seeds from aliens. Right. Uh, aliens. Uh, and if you remember it. And so he was just, he was just, uh, 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 you know, insistent on us doing this. And I said, no, uh, we've already got a name built up. We're not going to change our name, you know. And so he quit the group and, and did almost the same thing with the Rocker Brothers. Uh, they, they dyed all their hair blonde, or they bleached their hair blonde when they first came out. And uh, they all legally changed their last names. And this is all because of that movie, The, uh, the Children. Children of the Dam. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, the of the Dam. Yeah. And, uh, and they had uh, quite a bit of success uh, in Europe and a little bit of success here, but the biggest amount of success was in Europe. And, right. Uh, Gary has, uh, has been a good friend over the years. And, uh, but anyway, to, to, to go on, that uh, when, we, uh, we, when he quit, we auditioned people, and uh, you know, I had always wanted a drummer who could sing because uh, I was uh, really influenced by uh, groups that uh, that had uh, drummers that could sing. It was, it was originally the Four Seasons, and that's what I liked about them so much: is they were a rock group, and the drummers sang from behind the drums, and uh, that just didn't happen. Uh, and so I always wanted somebody that could do that, and we auditioned several drummers, and. Uh, Came across this kid, Dick Dodd, and uh, and, and uh, he was a former Mouseketeer, and uh, <laughs> he got a lot of. He came up and, and we we razzed him a lot about that, you know, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of just really really bad jokes, uh, you know, about Annette and all that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, and Cubby, but anyway. Uh, he sat down behind the drums, and it was just incredible, you know. And then he sang. It was even more incredible. And I said, gosh, this is great, you know. And so uh, we added him into the group. And uh, and so he was with the group when we started doing these films. And, uh, it, you know, uh, Get Yourself a College Girl. And then, uh, of course, the, the TV shows. Uh, I'm trying to do this all in sequential manner. Uh, but uh, Dick... <laughs> it was with us for just a couple of weeks before we recorded our first album, 
which was uh, 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 live at PJs. Right. In person, at, I mean, in person at PJs. In person Sandals at PJs. In person right. at PJs. And uh, the only, uh, it's a great album, but the only problem with it was the producer, Dick Glasser. And I'll tell you this, to this day, uh, uh, the, the 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 guy did not know anything about rock groups. Uh, he might have known about pop and stuff, but uh, he thought it would be more exciting to speed the entire recording up. You know, right. and w- in those days you couldn't. You know, uh, when you speed it up, it sounds. You know, and I'm singing. I'm doing most of the singing. It sounds like Mickey Mouse singing. You right. Know? So it, it, it raises your pitch perfectly on that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm saying it's the best things in life are free. And I'm saying, the best things in life are free. You said every person be. You know, so <laughs> by the time you sped it up, you know. Right. And uh, so uh, um, I, I, they later uh, slowed it back down and they came out of a re-release of it called The Standells Live and in person. Or The Standells Out of Sight, I should say. Live and out of sight. So they, and, uh, it they was released, released speed corrected. Our, yeah, that was released in 1966. Of course, after Dirty Water hit, but uh, uh, that's that's how it went, you know. And Dick uh, really worked out well in that he he began to sing more and more of the lead, and uh, we kind of it got to where we were singing, each doing about half of the leads, and then uh, uh, we uh, uh, we left uh, uh, Liberty. Because uh, we we didn't like Glasser, we left him, and uh, and uh, we got more of this, uh, and we went uh, signing with BJ Records. And I know you wanted to know about this. Uh, yeah, BJ uh, uh, was a tremendous rhythm and blues label, you know, and they had a tremendous. Uh, uh, I mean, to BJ uh, uh, BJ Records, uh, you know, and they also had this unknown group called the Beatles. Yep, that's true. Uh, and uh, they didn't do a whole lot with them until after they, of course, you know, uh, like us, you know, uh, broke uh, uh, through uh, Capital and uh, and, uh, and MI. MI. Uh, but but uh, uh, they just, uh, you know, they, they they were in. A, I think they. What happened with DJ, in my opinion, is they they moved too quickly. They were, I think, back in. Philly, I don't know where they were. Out, Philly or Chicago, moved, yeah, and they just grew too fast. Yeah, huh? they uh, they moved, you know, to some big offices in Hollywood, and uh, and uh, they made too fast of a jump, and uh, and uh, we were only with them for about three or four months, and uh, they they went bankrupt uh, basically, uh, and uh, but they had uh, we recorded some stuff in the studio. And uh, and then they put us together with Sonny Bono. Interesting. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you listen to uh, a couple of recordings, like the Boy Next Door, right? Uh, and uh, uh, what have I got on my own? I sang both those. Uh, Sonny produced those. Uh, Cher sang in the background along with us. Uh, and uh, they were really good friends, uh, but. You know, Sonny had his own style, and he was a a, a protege of uh, Phil Spector. Uh, of Phil Spector, yeah, yeah. and uh, and he had that, that wall of sound yep. uh, thing happening, and 
And he tried to make the Standells into like the Righteous Brothers. You know, we just weren't. You know, we were a funky rock group. Yep. And uh, and uh, so we never did quite find ourselves, uh, uh, you know, our, our true selves until we met uh, uh, Ed Cobb. And uh, well, what, uh, what was your and, sound but, like? What, what was your sound like before Ed Cobb? I mean, when from Hawaii till till now, you know, are you playing kind of a blue eyed soul thing? What do you what What is your sound up uh, to that point? We, uh, you know, of course, uh, we got criticized for doing cover records, but everybody did cover records back then. He's the Beatles, you know. Right. That's what you do in clubs. Uh, so that's nonsense. But we did uh, we did all blues songs. Uh, we did Chuck Berry songs. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, you know, songs like Money and, uh, and Johnny Be Good and, uh, uh, we did the Four Temptation songs. Uh, uh, so we were kind of into to, to rock and blues and, uh, uh, we also did the, uh, Isaac Brothers Shout. Right. That was a great song. And, uh, we did a, a similar song. In fact, when we first signed with, with Liberty, that was supposed to be just really raunchy, like shout, and and Dick Glasser took and and, and turned it into, uh, I would say, almost into a polka. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, he had. You can believe this. You know, you remember that song, shout? How sure. wild it was with uh, Joey D and the Starlighters. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be like that with a wild B three going on and everything, and he had. He brought in other musicians into it, you know, and uh, and actually we worked with uh, like Glenn Campbell was in it, and uh, uh, but then he had a, a clavinet doing the lead in it. What a clavinet? Da, 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 da. Yeah, clavinet. You know, and it just ruined the whole thing. And and uh, and then he had doo wop singers in the background. We didn't even do our own background singing in it. You know, we had uh, ooh wee ooh wee ooh wee ooh. We never would have done that. You know, right. <laughs> this is Dick Blaster's. Uh, 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 this is his his contribution to the thing, and he ruined it. I thought, uh, but that was our first recording. Was uh, uh, called the Shake. Okay. And uh, that song was in turn uh, we redid it for the movie Get Yourself a College Girl, and they wanted something to do with the new dance craze, the swim. Right. So we changed the lyrics and re-recorded the lead on it to the swim. So instead of they're shaking in the east, they're shaking in the west, they're swimming in the east, they're swimming in the west. Wow. So, so that was changed, and so it's basically the same song. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, they, uh, you know, we finally got with, uh, you asked, you know, what was the group, what kind of group were we? We were a funky rock and roll group, you know, and... And we had producers that were tra- trying to change us into other things, you know, Sonny into, uh, you know, the Righteous Brothers and and uh, Dick Glasser into some pop, uh, you know, uh, configuration, and uh, and it just wasn't us. So, uh, you know, when we met when we met Ed Cobb, uh, one of the things we liked about him was the fact that he he just let us be us, you know, and uh, and he recognized us for who we were, right. not who we wanted us to be, and uh, and we really liked that. And he acted, uh, you know, as as a fifth member rather than uh, uh, you know dictatorial at first. Now uh, uh, he had the song that uh, that he wrote, it was, it was 
supposedly, now we never got this from the horse's mouth, but it, it was based on an experience he had. Uh, he was in Boston, we know that. Right. But uh, according to some rumors, he got mugged there, and uh, and he wrote the song about it. And, uh, and and I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, you know, that's, that's according to uh, you know some rumors we heard, but he had the song. It was just a, it was just like a, a thirty-two bar blues song. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, it had really nothing to it, and we weren't that impressed with it. Uh, and uh, and then with Ed trying to sing it, you know, he was one of the original four press, by the way. I didn't know that either. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he had a very legit sounding voice, so we weren't that impressed with it. But I said, Ed, you know. Uh, yeah, we'll do it, but but let us let us take take and arrange it the way we want, and and come back to you and and uh, and see what we can do with it. You know, so we did. We we uh, we took it and uh, added the guitar riff, and uh, and uh, uh, and he also he picked uh, Dick to sing, uh, which was fine with me. I mean, I I, I wasn't territorial, uh, right? But. Uh, uh, you know, he picked Dick to sing this, and once he picked Dick to sing, then Dick was the lead singer in, in most everything except for, you know, a few songs that, that I sang, like Mr. Nobody and uh, St. James Infirmary and, uh, you know, uh, some of those. But right. anyway, uh, uh, Dick wrote a lot of the, the lyrics in that, uh, uh, you know, the, a lot of the asides, like, I'm going to tell you a story, it's all about my town, I'm going to tell you a big, fat story, baby, it's all about my town, he wrote that, <laughs> he wrote uh, a, a lot of the, the throwaway lines in it, uh, all but they're cool people. All oh, but they're and, cool people, and, yeah. You know, yeah, and, and, uh, and, and that's what made the song what it was, you know, and, and, uh, and then I, I didn't do that much, but I did change the chord structure. Uh, a bit instead uh, any musician would know what I'm talking about instead of a straight seventh it was a, an extended seventh which gave it that just slightly different sound mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so so you know we came up with this and uh, we recorded it it was recorded in on three tracks at Armin Steiner studio you did all uh, that with three Armin tracks Stein- you did yeah, all that with, and tracks. so what you do just bounce them back and forth yeah. Oh, you know what bounce is. Yeah. <laughs> not many. Not many people know what bouncing is. Sure. Bouncing is uh, for for the audience out there. So when you record something on one track, you play that track onto a second track, and you record a, a number of things with it. Yep. And uh, that's what bouncing is. And then you bounce that back to another track and add some more stuff. And that's the way it was done back then. Uh, uh, I've worked on my track, tra- my share of four track analog machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, four track was a big deal, uh, yeah. but but the three track it was uh, Armin Steiner's. Uh, uh, it was actually a garage studio in Dust Garage Rock, of course. Oh, I'm so uh, glad was, you got here because I wanted to ask about this. I wanted to ask about this studio because it just sounded like the most amazing, like bootleg, jerry rigged place there ever could be to record a rock and roll album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a funky place. Uh, uh, I mean, he had a nice home in, in, uh, 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 in uh, West L.A. Uh, very, very nice home. And it was in the back of his home in his, in his garage. Right. And uh, it was unfinished. I mean, there was fiberglass on the walls. There was, uh, I don't think there was any air conditioning in it. It was like, you know, being in a gymnasium, you know. Right. <laughs> and, uh, 
and uh, but he did have a separate, uh, uh, you know, and I think of it. Uh, he did have a uh, he did have a, a separate room for for recording, and okay. there was glass in between, so it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't that basic, but it was still a garage, and there was no acoustics up or anything. And the thing about recording back then is you either had the sound then, or you didn't have it. You couldn't go back and, and uh, you know, add effects in or anything else. That was it. Right. And so uh, so it was recorded on three tracks, and uh, the, uh, the, we recorded everything, uh, all the instruments on the first track, uh, and then we bounced it to the second track, and uh, Dick played the mallet on the bass drum. That's how you had that heavy uh, bass drum sound, which was very unusual back then. Cool. Uh, you just didn't have it on record. And it worked so perfectly for uh, AM radio, uh, where that bottom is there. Yeah, yeah. When it was a, instead of just a one and three, it was a He would do that, and and along with the pattern that that uh, Gary played, uh, it, it worked perfectly for that, you know. And uh, uh, so. So that's where that is, you know, and also on that second track, uh, Dick added the tambourine in, you know. So, uh, you know, and then, then finally uh, the the background vocals and then the voice. So uh, so you had this, uh, uh, you know, uh, it took us, uh, you know, it took us a couple of days to do it. Right. And, uh, and, and uh, we liked what we did, but we never... Never would have thought it would, it would be, you know, such a big record, you know, and and we recorded it, you know, and and uh, and continued playing in clubs and basically forgot it, right. and uh, and and uh, we were playing uh, up and down in San Jose and uh, uh, oh, that was when Dick first quit the group too. He he quit it a number of times. Yeah, there's a San Jose story I want to hear, but we'll get to that. Where you know the, the yeah. But Dirty Water comes out, and it's a it's a regional hit on the other side of the country from where you're playing, right? Yeah, I mean it took uh, it took almost nine months uh, for uh, between the release and uh, when it was picked up on uh, uh, the small radio station in Orlando, Florida, of all places. And uh, went to number one there, and spread into Miami, and went to number one there, and then it started spreading pretty quickly uh, uh, up the coast and around the country. It was uh, uh, I read where it was one of the longest uh, running records on the charts nice. uh, of any record that year. Uh, uh, and I mean, it, it showed up as the highest it went on Billboard was number eleven. But that was, you know, spread over, you know, like a, a about a seven or eight month period, and and uh, the cash box had listed it as number eight, and Record World listed it as number one. So there was quite a disparity on, on uh, you know, how they how they did the accounting on it. But uh, but uh, you know, it it didn't get airplay in, in a lot of the same places at once. You know, right. and I think California was one of the later places uh, to, to pick up on it. Interesting, uh, and, and, and Boston as well. They didn't pick up on it right away. <laughs> and and you still hadn't played in Boston, right? I think the first time you guys played Boston was when you opened for the Stones in '67. 
That's right. Yeah, when when we opened for the Stones, and that's another story. But uh, they, getting back to the uh, uh, you know the the uh, uh, the San Jose story, uh, we were. This was before Dirty Water hit, and uh, it uh, it was just beginning to get played in WLOF in uh, in Orlando. And Dick had quit the group because he didn't think we were going anyplace, and he joined uh, this group I think called the Ravens. And uh, and we brought in Dewey Martin, who later you know joined, Spring- joined Buffalo, Buffalo Springfield, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved Dewey. He was he was crazy. I, I just loved him. He, he had a pet ocelot that he took with him every place. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he and I roomed together, you know. And uh, he left that that cat, you know, and, and there. I mean, they're they're beautiful creatures, you know. But you left it in the room, and the maid went in there, and, and uh, I heard her screaming at the top of her lungs. <laughs> and and uh, he didn't attack her or anything. He just he just, just scared her and screamed. And uh, you know, uh, but uh, Dewey was great, and uh, and uh, he even uh, recorded the original uh, voice on "Why Did You Hurt Me." That was uh, That's Dewey? one of our first recordings. Yeah, it was uh, no, no. He he originally recorded it, and then uh, and then Dick wanted to come back because he heard that you know the the. Uh... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You had a hit. The, the director was climbing the charts, so he wanted to come back to the Standells where the bread was. And so, uh, and so, yeah, he came back to the Standells, and, and unfortunately, I had to let Dewey go. I just love Dewey. Uh, sure. But, uh, so he did okay. They raced Dewey's, they, <laughs> yeah, he did great. And, uh, and uh, I don't think he ever got the recognition he deserved uh, afterwards. But, you know, that's another story. Right. Uh, but anyway... Uh, uh, Dick, uh, you know, re-recorded it. They they put his voice on it, so that's what happened. Uh, so that's Dick's voice on it. Hmm. Uh, why did you hurt me? But in, in San Jose, uh, when you were playing in San Jose, Larry, you uh, you were playing in kind of a rough spot, and there were like there were weren't there. I think the story is that there were some Hell's Angels in the bar where you were playing. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, a uh, there's a big uh, Hell's Angels chapter there in uh, San Jose, and. Uh, and that was their hangout, and uh, they claimed it as their own, you know. And every night, just about, there were fights in there. Uh, and uh, and I became friends with the one guy who was the uh, like the, the president of the chapter. Uh, he gave me his business card, and uh, his name is Fuck Up. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, that was his name. He said "fuck up" right on his uh, on his card, you know. And uh, he said, "Hey, if you ever get any uh, any problems with bikers, just show them this card, you know." And uh, and years later, I actually did. I got you know almost got mugged by a couple of uh, biker chips chicks outside of uh, uh, this recording studio. Right. And uh, this was in the late '60s, and 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 man, I was they were big chicks, you know. And I didn't know what to do, and and. Uh, and and uh, and then I thought of his card. I pulled it out, and they just got down on their knees. or in awe uh, that I had fuck ups card. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my get out of jail free. Gotta love it. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, uh, yeah, they, uh, uh, you know, he he really liked me because uh, there was a big uh, uh, fight one night, and some guy was trying to hit him from behind with a beer bottle, and and I called his attention to it, and he. <laughs> And he turned around and clobbered the guy before he did him. So, you, so I was his buddy after that. You gotta love and, it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, these are all true stories. Uh, they could only happen with the Standells. No kidding. Hey, I want to talk about "Try It," um, yeah. which is which is one of my favorite Standell songs. But it end up it ended up getting banned in Texas and a few stations around the country. Even I think, if I remember right, it, it got banned on KHJ. And uh, yeah. which kind of gave you a little underground credibility, I think. Um, but did it, you know, it, it hurt sales, but it, it helped with your uh, your counterculture credibility. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Try It? Yeah, uh, that, uh, that was one song that we all thought as soon as we recorded that, it was going to be a hit. And uh, in fact, Billboard magazine picked it as, uh, as a number one hit. Right. And, uh, and everything looked that way. And... Uh, it's right about that time Gordon McClendon, uh, owner of KLIF in Dallas and, uh, you know, programmer of a number of radio stations across the country, right. uh, started this, uh, committee, uh, in trying to clean up, uh, record lyrics. And, uh, you know, at the time, I mean, the Stones had, uh, let's spend the night together out. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yep. John Denver had Rocky Mountain High, I think. Uh, you know, uh, so so. Uh, but he picked on the Standells uh, because he knew that we weren't as big as the Rolling Stones. Why and, pick on uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why pick on us? That was our story. <laughs> there, was, there was one. That is, it's true. We we uh, we got refused uh, 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 admittance at a hotel because of our long hair at one time. Uh, they were really anti-long hair. I mean, it was worse than, I love black people, don't get me wrong, but it was worse than being black back then wow. in the South. Yeah, you go into a place that's like a scene out of Easy Rider, you know, where, where it would just become quiet, and then somebody would like that, and, right. uh, and there would be giggles, and, uh, you know, we had one woman put a, uh, in this hotel, put a, 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 a soap band around my doorknob she figured she found out where uh, where we were staying and picked you know my room and got a band a soap band you know yeah inferring that i never take baths you know and uh put it around my doorknob so i found out where where she was and i got a a, a band from uh uh ten thousand dollar bill ten ten thousand yeah uh, a stack of ten thousand dollar bills and put it around her doorknob <laughs> <laughs> And, and, uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Standells' attitude. Yeah, yeah, and I knew it was this person because you know the out, the outrage when she saw us and everything, and I knew who it was. Uh, uh, that's the kind of stuff we ran into. But getting back to this, uh, try it. 
uh, Gordon McLennan uh, uh, decided to start this uh, this campaign, and he picked on Troya, uh, you know, which was, uh, in my opinion, still today, uh, it really had nothing to do with the lyrics, although he claimed it did. I mean, the lyrics were, uh, by the way you look, I can tell that you want some action. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, action is my middle name. Come over here, pretty girl. I'll give you satisfaction. But tour needed for this game. I'll give you sweet love you've never had before. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, he he uh, really made a, a national campaign against this. I mean, he went on news stations around the country, showed our record, and said, you know, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. It it's, uh, encourages young girls to have uh, sexual intercourse. <gasps> and, uh, no. And, yeah, oh, yeah. And They certainly and, weren't doing uh, that before the Standells, were they? Yeah, oh, no, they would never think of that. Right. No, no. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, back then, you know, they had the... Uh, 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 you know, petticoats and uh, what else? <laughs> Iron Maiden. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they, uh, uh, um, you know, we were play we were on Tower Records, and we thought, God, what a great publicity thing to do is to sue these people. We could sue them in court, uh, you know, uh, right. uh, 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 for liability, for, uh, you know, for all sorts of things, for damage, uh, for, you know... Because, in essence, when he came out and did this, we were guilty uh, uh, until proven innocent. And, and all of these stations that were playing the record stopped playing it, including KHJ. And, uh, and the record was number one on KROA, and KHJ wouldn't touch it. Unbelievable. And I was way, that way in a lot of radio stations across the country. But the end result is uh, that, the, that the record bombed because of this. And uh, I think that uh, had we have been with a stronger record label, uh, they were scared to death of this man. Uh, and I think we had we have been with a stronger record label uh, that uh, we could have done something with it. Uh, and I also think that they made a, a deal with the devil, so to speak, uh, uh, because uh, the next record that we released was uh, Can't Help But Love You. Mm. And and. Mac and McClendon, McClendon stations played the hell out of that song, and it actually reached the charts. It was number seventy-four in the charts. Wait a minute. And, uh, are, are you saying that in the mid '60s, mid to late '60s, that that disc jockeys were somehow being encouraged to play certain records? Wait a minute. Yeah. I've I've never heard of such <laughs> thing. No, that never happened. Uh, but we think we think that 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 the record company, and I have no proof of this, but we think they made a deal with McClendon. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll go easy on this. We won't do anything if you play the next. If you if you uh, really pounce on the next Sandell's next recording, right? And, and as it turned out, uh, this can't help but love you it was a good song, but it was quite a departure from our sound. It was a rhythm of blues sound. Yeah, had horn section in it, and and this is when Ed Cobb started really getting full of himself too, and. Uh, and uh, it, he wouldn't even let some of us play on the on the recording. He said, well, uh, it was a bunch, a bunch of black musicians in there. And he said, well, these guys sound more like the Standells than you do. And I said, well, how can that be? <laughs> yeah, they're like horn, you know, horns and saxes and, and uh, you know, rhythm and blues people, you know. And, and the two guys that, that actually uh, arranged us, uh, Ethan and this other guy, were also uh, R&B people. They were friends of Ed. 
And and so that was the next song that they went on uh, was this thing that was quite a departure from the Standells and uh, more rhythm and blues than anything. Unreal. And it, it you know went so high, but it, it certainly didn't uh, it, it didn't go as as high as as you know what what could have happened with Try It. And uh, but that's the way things go, you know. Right. And 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 that really I think. That was the beginning of the end for the Standells. Uh, I mean, even Art Linklater heard about this. So you heard about that story. And he ha- um, he had you on he, the show, right? Yeah, he had us. Uh, he had a, a show back then uh, on the uh, called the House Party, and uh, and uh, this is the last couple of years of the show. He started this uh, debate format uh, uh, segment within the show called Let's Talk, and uh, he'd have different factions debating each other. And uh, he had the Standells on uh, with uh, with uh, uh, you know debating McClendon right. and uh, and uh, uh, John John Fleck who is still with the group today. Uh, he and I did our homework on this uh, on McClendon. You know, we were in uh, Texas for a while, and so we dug up a lot of stuff on him. And, and this <laughs> man was uh, I can't mention a lot of the stuff, but he was an absolute hypocrite. You know, you don't and, say. Yeah, like most of them, you know, you, right. you just follow the pointing finger up the arm and uh, <laughs> you see where the real scumbag is. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we they had us on this debate with them, and we just massacred them. I mean, we massacred them. We couldn't bring out a lot of the stuff, but uh, some of the audiences. Uh, members were were it was full. It was it was done in the at the Hollywood nightclub. In Hollywood, that was the old Moulin Rouge. Later became the Aquarius. You know where that it's is. It's the Nickelodeon Studios, right? Not at um, at not yeah, not Gower, but uh, yeah, um, not Gower. But what's the other one? Um, uh, is yeah. not, right between Vine and Gower on Sunset, right across from the Palladium. Um, it's a, it was a, you know I can't remember, but it, it was right in that neck of the woods, right. You know? Sure. It was on Sunset and uh, and uh, kind of near Vine uh, is all I remember. And okay. uh, but uh, they had it in there, and it was stacked full of teenagers. I mean, it was just filled the capacity with teenagers, you know. And and uh, and some of the audience members were fed specific information about McClendon, and and. Uh, and so every time it looked like he would almost get a point in, which was very rare, uh, somebody from the audience would yell out something like, uh, you know, uh, what about the baseball games, McClendon? They, they had a deal where they were, uh, they faked baseball games. They had a, uh, they pretended like they were at uh, uh, a major league game, and they pretended they they made it seem as though they had a play-by-play announcer there. They actually had somebody that was there that was spotting, and they would call in as the plays were. Uh, oh, and they they the fake the games live on the air, huh? and then there'd be a guy there with with sound effects and crowd and everything and announcer, and he just hit a grand slam, you know. And they they did that, and they got a lot of trouble for it. Uh, so that was one of the things I can mention. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, we absolutely—I wish I got—I could get a hold of that that uh, tape. Uh, I, we just saw it once, and uh, and they took an edit of it uh, to where it looked more even-sided. Like we had a lot of comebacks for him, which they they uh, which they deleted. You know, one of them was. Uh, 
you know, he was he was talking about, you know, uh, you know how this this song is just encourages the wrong things in, in young people. And I said, well, what about uh, you know, uh, uh, what about songs of your day, Mr. McLennan? Like uh, birds do it, bees do it. What were they talking about? Do you think? <laughs> you they go. cut that out. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you you long-haired punks, you bunch of punks. No, yeah, I said yeah, I said they treat you like a bunch of long-haired punks and just uh, keep you yeah, little kids in yeah, your place. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we massacred them, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, and but that's history, you know. Right. Uh, uh, just the way things happen, you know. And, and from then on, we just uh, we, you know, Dick uh, left the group again, and you know. We kind of, uh, Dick, uh, Ed Cobb got so full of himself, it was really difficult to communicate with and uh, difficult to work with. And uh, and so uh, our manager talked us into leaving him and, and his company, Greengrass, who we were signed with. Right. And they, in turn, uh, got a hold of Dick, and they said, you don't need the rest of these guys. You're a star on your own. And, uh, and uh and he had agreed to all this, you know, and was very favorable about living them. So, you know, we, uh, you know, we're all together in this, this, the day before we were supposed to uh, do this gig. And of all places, it was at my high school alma mater. We we're going to do a concert there. And we get this letter from Dick. He didn't even speak to us in person saying, well, I've decided to go with, uh, with, with Ray Harris and them, you know, and it was just, broke my heart you know oh, man. uh that he would do that and uh because they promised on the moon and and uh as you know uh they made an album uh and it was it was terrible i thought uh instead of capitalizing on on his wonderful voice uh and, and the raunchy nature of it you know they, they had him almost with pop songs and and uh country songs in fact yeah. i think it was recorded in a in a uh in a uh, in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And uh, So they tried to turn and, him into uh, a pop star. They tried to turn him into a teen yeah, idol. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, it just didn't happen. And uh, so and so we were forced to, you know, uh, change over. And I had, by then, you know, uh, uh, lost a lot of my confidence in singing. And uh, I fortunately gained it all back on sure. all the hits now. But uh, but uh, uh, we we had various people in it and uh, uh, in the group. It just never seemed to work out. You know, yeah, you uh, had uh, you had Lowell George that. for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to get to that. Uh, Lowell, uh, you know, was in the mother of, mothers of invention, right. and uh, he's very very. Uh, uh, gifted musically, he played sitar and uh, uh, was just a, a great musician. But he absolutely hated the standells, although he didn't say it. And uh, it was John. John was a good friend of his, and he brought him into it, you know. And right. uh, and you know, and uh, and then he started t- trying to take over the group, you know. And I was the leader of the group, and and. Uh, and you know, we started getting advice, and uh, you know, it just wasn't working out. If he, what he wanted us to do was to grease our hair back, uh, like uh, Shanana. Oh and, man! And and do a, yeah, and 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 uh, be like a doo-wop group. And, and, and in his mind, that was uh, 
that was going back to our roots. We were never a greaser group, you know. Uh, but, but uh, you know, so we've parted ways with Lowell, and, uh, you know, and we just never seemed to, to pitch on anything. Uh, we eventually split the group up in the um, uh, latter part of uh, 69. Right. And then, uh, and then, uh, like the 21st century happens, and here we are. And like I said, I saw you in in '09 at the uh, mm-hmm. the Nuggets um, the Nuggets show at Amoeba. Yeah. Right. And it was you and Keith yeah. Allison and the peanut butter conspiracy and P.F. Sloan and I think Jackie yeah. DeShannon. Um, yeah. And I mean that that configuration of the Standells, which is admittedly the only one I've ever seen live, just was everything I hoped it would be. You you. Oh, thanks. You know, I mean, in the in the greatest complimentary sense, you punched me right in the face, and it was so good. Can you tell me about the lineup that was there and and the lineup that you have now? Yeah, well, it's almost exactly the same. Uh, the only uh, person we changed was the uh, guitarist. Uh, uh, he, uh, uh, Paul Downing, he was uh, with uh, an earlier version of the Standells back in the late 69, right before we, we broke up. He right. was with us. And then, uh, and then I called him uh, to be part of this, and he just, just uh, I, I won't say why, but it just didn't work out. Right. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, but otherwise, it's the same group. Uh, uh, John uh, Fleck is in it, and uh, you know what a great bass player he is. Yeah. And uh, and, uh, and uh, a great Burnham, which it was a terrific drummer. I mean, he teaches drums. Uh, probably one of the best drummers I've, I've ever worked he with. He was we, so uh, good, we, man. I was watching the film from that uh, this morning, prepping for this interview, and Burnham was just yeah. so good. Yeah, he really was. Uh, he, and he, he just picks right up on things. And one of the nicest, uh, most, uh, uh, most mellow guys, uh, especially for a drummer, uh, that I've ever worked with. And, uh, you know, you, you give him suggestions. He's, oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds cool, you know. And, and I really like that. And I really like that about the group, you know, the, uh, the guitarist we have now, uh, who's been with us since, uh, since Paul left is, uh, is, Probably one of the best guitarists I've ever worked with, uh, uh, Mark Adrian. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he auditioned for the group and because of our experience with, <laughs> with Paul, we, uh, we really, uh, put these guys to the ringer who are auditioning for us. And, uh, Mark was one that just came back every time. You know, he was with, uh, almost a, uh, glam rock group, uh, uh, that were big and they were huge in Europe. And uh, uh, they never made it in the states, but uh, just a just a nice guy and tremendously talented. And uh, like I said, one of the best guitarists I've ever worked with. And he's a great singer. So uh, we had uh, during the auditions, I would uh, you know give him Standells phrasings and how to how to sing. You know how the Standells have a certain way of doing songs. It's right. Singing and half talking. We probably invented rap back then. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and and so it was it, it um, a lot of it was phrasing and he and he picked up on it and he came back and he he got the job and I I, I got to say uh, I've never been more happy with uh, with somebody than I have with Mark he's just uh, he does some of the lead singing uh, I do most of it but he does 
you know, some of the lead singing, and people just love him. He puts on a show on the stage, and uh, his guitar playing is, is uh, you know, uh, beyond everything I've ever heard. And so, it, with and, this incarnation of the Standells, you've cut uh, you've cut two new albums. You did a tour in 2014, yeah. And the Dirty Water tour is is coming up. Yeah. So tell well, me, we, uh, yeah, we uh, last year we did the you know national tour. Uh, we did like 16 cities across the nation, and uh, then we also did a big show in uh, in Italy in Parma at uh, uh, at, at this big festival there. And, uh, and then a big festival in, in San Diego. And, uh, this year we were kind of holding off for the uh, release of our second album. Uh, we had one that came out, uh, last year called Bump. Right. And, uh, we were determined to, uh, make it as though the Standells never quit, quit recording, if you know what I mean. Of course. It's recognizable as the Standells, and yet it's taking the Standells from where they were back in the 60s. And bringing them up to today, uh, and, and each song kind of you know was more advanced than than the others. You know, did you record? Not, did not you record taking, digitally? Not, did you record digitally, uh, or did you or did you use? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we recorded on. We were going to record it on tape, but uh, uh, we built our own garage studio, and uh, it's in a garage. And uh, we figured, what you know, that's our roots. And, right. And there's just some kind of magic to it where you can go into this junky place and 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 be relaxed, not have to worry about the clock. And if you come up with crea- uh, creative ideas, you know, you can try them right there uh, or not or come back and redo them. Uh, so that's what we decided. Uh, I'm also uh, a, uh, a recording engineer, a Pro Tools engineer. Right. So I did all the engineering on it, and I produced it. And uh, and we did it all there as a family. No, we brought nobody else in. And uh, although people will swear that we did, I mean, there's one one song uh, where there was a, a call for a sax solo on it, and uh, I did all the sax solo on my keyboard. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, and you listen, it's the theme song, "Bumping the Night," and uh, and we've had sax players that come in and say, "Man, that is a good sax solo." You know, and uh, it's because I've been around long enough to know about how a lot of these people think. If I, if I play a guitar on the synthesizer, then it's a guitar. It's not a keyboard that's playing a guitar, right. you know. So that's why I think. And I put in a lot of the, the, the trills and the riffs uh, that the sax players use. And and it's fooled a lot of people. But I'll be honest, it's me playing the keyboard because we stuck to our word. We didn't bring in any other musicians to our sessions. Now, you're using synthesizers, <laughs> of course, Larry. But, I mean, it's a Standells record. So is there also a full-on, real-life Hammond B3 uh, on the record? No, really? No, it wasn't. It was no. It was it was my keyboard. Wow. And uh, it, it, I love Hammond P3s. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But uh, uh, but uh, the uh, nowadays with keyboards, uh, they have uh, they have certain sound samples that you cannot tell the difference. You cannot tell the difference. And. And, uh, you know, we even recorded, we started recording in a, in a studio up in San Francisco, and uh, they, they did have a, a, a Hammond B3 up there. And actually, they, the sound I got in this thing was more like a B3 than that was. <laughs> <laughs> if it's good uh, enough for you, it's so, good enough for me. 
So, uh, and uh, it's hard to explain, but, uh, uh, you know, it does have the rotating Leslie sounds on it. And, right. uh and and it has all of that, and that's that's what I used, you know. And uh, so it is what it is, you know. Uh, but the but the first album was the Standells, you know, uh, taking it from you know uh, the earlier rock stuff. Uh, I did one song called uh, 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 Mr. One Percent, for instance. It's just it, it's straight rock and roll, and uh, it's really a take on the a slam at the wealthiest one percent. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the Standells were, did, uh, represent the working class back in the 60s. A lot of people call us a working class group. You know, well, why pick on me? Sometimes good guys don't wear white. Good guys don't wear white. Yeah, that's the, that's the song that came yeah. to mind was good guys don't wear white. And we were, uh, uh, and, and we did two songs on the album. This one, uh, uh, Mr. 1%, and it's really slamming the wealthiest 1%, but in a comic type of uh, manner and, and the next one uh was uh, uh was was uh i can't think of a name my, my mind has slipped but uh it is also ta- a little more advanced in the arrangement part of it and um uh, and uh it also is a protest song and uh you know i should know it because i co-wrote it and that's something <laughs> <laughs> So there's this uh, album. There's the the uh, next one that's 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 on the shelves and about to be released. Is that right? The second the second album. No, it's actually it's actually been released. Uh, it was released in May. Okay. And, uh, it's on uh, it's on Sony Music, and uh, it uh, is a live recording we've done. Uh, we, we did it uh, in Chicago last year. And uh, this is the neat thing, again, about uh, digital recording, is they had uh, Pro Tools equipment in there, so they recorded the whole thing on Pro Tools on my hard drive. I took it with me, and uh, and then we got it back and, and just mixed it. And, uh, I mean, it's raunchy. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the standells as they are, which, again, we're pretty much like we are in the recordings. Right. You know, people accused us of using a lot of... Uh, uh, of uh, techniques and, and things uh, in our recordings, which we did not. Uh, it's just us being us, you know. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm doing all the most of the lead singing now, but uh, but all you know, uh, I you know back in the old days, people had problems distinguishing between Dick's voice and mine. We sounded pretty much similar, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I, I feel that I'm. I'm carrying off, as you know, that, that Dick passed away, right. uh, you know. Uh, a couple of years uh, ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and also uh, Gary Lane passed away. Mm-hmm. Gary was a very good friend. And uh, and uh, so so uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I started the group, you know, and I'm, I'm finishing with the group, you know, as long as it takes me to, you know, to keep on going as long as I can keep on going and rocking on stage. And nowadays, uh, I don't just stand behind the, the keyboard and sing. I actually get out into the audience, and uh, we have another keyboardist that comes up uh, during some of the songs and takes over while I go out into the audience. So I'm out there dancing and jumping around like a 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> which, which brings me to the, the Dirty Water Tour that you're putting together. Tell, yeah. me, about, tell me about the new yeah. tour. Yeah, we're, uh, we, uh, it's been my idea to do this for quite some time is to put together a, a tour, like a Happy Together tour, but, uh, more, 
uh, in the vein of garage rock. And so, uh, you know, we came up, uh, our agent, uh, Mike Copley, and, and they came up with this idea, and, uh, you know, to put together this, this big tour of garage rock groups uh, or uh, performers. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then I came up with the idea of the Dirty Water Tour. So it, uh, we've got it out to, gee, just about everybody, and uh, it looks like it's going to start happening probably uh, the later latter part of the year uh, into 2016. It takes a long time to, to book these shows because most of the big uh, uh, venues, they, they, they book for the year, right. uh, you know, in January. Uh, so uh, I have no doubt, you know, we have just some great artists on it. Uh, I'm just really thrilled. Uh, uh, that, that we have uh, Mitch Ryder on it, you know, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit, the Wheels. Detroit Wheels. I sure. love Mitch. And, and, uh, and uh, Gary DiCarlo, who is the actual singer of Na uh, uh, Na Hey Hey, Kiss and Goodbye. Right, from Steam. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about that, that it was a, you know, a studio musician. He actually sang it, and uh, the, his, his record company, the record company put together another group to go out and, and tour, but he was the one that sang it, and he is quite a performer. And, uh, and yeah, you know, just the way things were back then. You know, right. sometimes you have bad experiences like that. Sure. And Gary is just a, a credible performer. Got, uh, we've got some tapes on it. Uh, we do have a, a Facebook page, uh, the Dirty Water Tour. And, uh, he is just a great performer. And then we've got, uh, Johnny Eccles of In Love. Now we can, uh, Johnny Eccles, and our John Fleck and Arthur Lee formed the original Love. When they were the Grassroots? Uh, no, after the after the Grassroots. Okay. Uh, I think John came into it. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, they they went through several different name changes back right. then. John could tell you more about that. But uh, but it was the three of them that came up, uh, you know, with with uh, with Love. With Love, what a band. It. And John was actually on uh, some of the early recordings, uh, uh, and uh, so so it's really the two Johns uh, that will be performing on the tour together that are love. You know, there's nobody else around except I think the, the drummer is still around. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's uh, Johnny, who's uh, just uh, just a great guy. I love Johnny and. Uh, and and uh, what a what an incredible guitarist he is too, and he does sing, and uh, uh, and then we also have uh, uh, Jimmy Stones of the Shadows of Night. Oh and, wow! Uh, and uh, it, it is just a dynamite show. Jimmy is uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen him perform, but he is just a great performer. How's his voice now? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, uh, it's, it's, it's great. He's never lost it. He never lost it. He's still doing Gloria like he did back, you know, back then. Gotta love and, it. Uh, and, and, uh, he, you know, and, and he's a great showman. And he's, again, uh, just a, a wonderful guy to be around. Uh, he's, he's my buddy. You know, he, he was, he appeared with us, uh, at this, uh, uh, at our record release party at, uh, at the satellite. Right. And uh, he got up as our guest in, in, in San Gloria. And, uh, and uh, so, I mean, it's just a power-packed show. Uh, and, uh, and it's the first of its kind, really, that, that, that's uh, 
featuring uh, garage rock artists, uh, you know, uh, at least a tempo artist. Uh, and and uh, it, it, it differs, uh, differs from the Happy Together Tour in the fact that, that you know, we don't have the cow cells. We probably never will. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't mean that derogatory. Not at all. No, I, I, I absolutely get it. And I hear the respect, uh, too. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, but uh, but we'll uh, we'll have this as a yearly uh, variety show, and it'll go out, and uh, it'll have uh, you know mostly people that fit into that uh, the garage rock category, and uh, I don't know if you, if you go to our Facebook page, yeah, uh, you'll see you'll see our uh, our poster, and uh, I created the poster actually. There I also do art design. So, and uh, so it's uh, it's at the top. It says "Garage Rock Spectacular," right? And uh, and it shows uh, you know it, it has pictures of, of everybody that's on the tour and their biggest hit songs, and uh, and at the bottom it says uh, uh, "Dirty Water Tour," you know, and uh, you know it. it uh, we sent this out to uh, or our agent has sent this out to all the promoters. We're getting great feedback. Fantastic. And uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll just a, a lot of people that want to do it. Just nobody's signed on the dotted line yet. It's the Dirty Water Tour on on Facebook. Yeah. And you know now that you guys yeah. are are out and and out and about again, and you used to look out in the audience and see all this shaggy shaggy hair, and now you look out and <laughs> you you see a lot of gray and you see a lot of skin. Uh, you know what's how? Tell me about the 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 crowd at a Standells show in 2015. What's it like? Well, you know, uh, uh, interestingly enough, we've had a lot of young people that, that have been at our shows. You know, a lot of uh, you know millennials have, have, have been and teenagers, uh, and they're picking up on the music for the first time. You know, at the 60s, and they're saying, "Wow, this stuff was really good." Yep. You know. It doesn't doesn't have a bunch of synthesizers in it. It's not uh, it's not hip hop, and, and uh, you know it's not programmed. It's it's actually people you know uh, doing their music and doing it well. And uh, so we get uh, we get quite a few uh, uh, young people. I got a funny story, as a matter of fact. Yeah. We were in, uh, last year uh, we were uh, on our tour. One of the last places we performed was in Denver. Uh, yeah, at this club there, and uh, uh, did a great show. And afterwards, I was uh, uh, signing autographs for this twenty-something-year-old girl, and uh, on her on her jacket, you know, and uh, which I thought was cool. Well, you know, we used to do that back in the sixties. <laughs> and uh, and uh, oh, we and other things too. But uh, of course, we, uh, and, and so I finished uh, signing her jacket, you know, and she turned around and grabbed me and laid the biggest kiss on me. Uh, <laughs> I was, and here this girl and I was old enough you know I'm old enough to be her grandfather you know and uh, you know I am humbled I am absolutely humbled <laughs> <laughs> and that my friend is why we pick up a guitar when we're 16 years old yeah, or, or keyboards yeah, fact, or whatever uh, yeah yeah in fact uh, when we did the uh, uh, Ponderosa uh uh, that was back in 2013. They have a big show out there. Uh, we were, we were on, we headlined there. And, right. uh, they had a, uh, uh, press, uh, uh, press, uh, uh, 
you know, a press kit uh, beforehand. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and they were asking, you know, the, some of the groups, uh, you know, why they formed and everything. And, and one of the guys was honest. He says, you know, he said when he says, uh, I never got laid until I picked up a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just uh, the name of the game back then, you know. And, and, of course, I look back on it now saying, God, you know, did I do all those things? Uh, uh, it was, uh, they were crazy times, and uh, you learn from it, you know. I would imagine. Uh, Larry, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd love to have you back oh, to tell some more stories about, about touring oh, with the Stones and stuff on, like that. I could go on all night. I, I could go on all night. Believe me, I know uh, you could, yeah. and nothing would make yeah, me happier, but, uh, but you know. The Rolling, Stone tour, the Rolling Stones tour in and of itself could be all night. There you but, go. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, love to be back, and uh, and, and thanks for uh, you know, having me on the show. I, I you know, I really appreciate it. Of course, my friend. It is, uh, it is, uh, it, like I said, it's a, it's a privilege. Like I said, I discovered the Standells, you know, 15 years after you broke up and, uh, and I got it. So I understand the kids that are picking it up today because everybody has felt like a Standell and, uh, just, oh, I absolutely get it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I got one closing remark. Yeah, uh, man. this, uh, uh, I was reading Twitter and he says, I, uh, I see, uh, this guy said, I see a lot of stray standells around. And I'm going, what? And I, that's what I did. I, po- I, I posted on Twitter, what? He says, uh, oh, he says, you know, uh, 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 I'm in London. He says, a lot of these kids are walking around the streets with long hair. They look just like the standells. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it. That's it. Gotta love it. Well, my friend, when you're in, uh, when the next time you're playing in LA, I, I absolutely will, uh, will be a part of it. If you ever find yourself in the neck of the woods, come into yeah. the studio and we'll, uh, we'll raise an elbow and tell more war stories. And, um, oh, yeah. You know, I appreciate your knowledge too. You have a great knowledge of, of that, uh, of that era. And that's, that's really terrific. You guys, uh, you guys were my gateway drug, let me tell you. Um, really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing the tour. And uh, I'm around if you need anything else, Larry. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.